of tonight's talk, which is at the same time the last talk of this retreat, is the essence of life. In the last interviews of a retreat, meditators often come and ask of how they can practice at home or how to integrate the practice into their daily lives. So this talk looks at this issue from a slightly different angle and indicates a way of bringing the Dhamma into life in our ordinary daily lives. Let me start the talk with this famous verse from the Dhammapada. To avoid all evil, to cultivate good to purify one's mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. We can summarize the teaching of the Buddha with this verse from the Dhammapada. In essence, the teaching aims at the purification of our heart and mind in order to come to a deep and true understanding of all phenomena free from our ideas, opinions, or prejudices. Meditation is a journey into the depths of our heart and mind. And this is not an easy task. On the contrary, it's one of the most challenging adventures in our lives. To penetrate into the deep jungle of the Amazonas, or to climb the highest mountain on earth, Mount Everest, seems to be a piece of cake. Nowhere else are we so much confronted uh, with our own limits as on the expedition into the faraway corners of our minds and hearts. For this, we need a tremendous amount of courage and also great perseverance and patience. To to face this challenge well prepared, the Buddha has uh, said time and again how important it is to uh, have a virtuous conduct, to have a pure and uh, blameless or faultless morality. And in the words of the Dhammapada, this is expressed with the first two lines, to avoid all evil and to cultivate good. In some of the previous talks, we have already looked 
what it means to have a virtuous conduct or what it means uh, to have good, beneficial, wholesome actions or which actions are bad, uh, unbeneficial or unwholesome. So today we will look at this question and see how we can live our life in order to bring the best out of it or how we can make use of our life and the things that we possess to gain the greatest benefits possible or in other words what is the essence of our life we should frequently consider the fact that it is not to be taken for granted that we are born as human beings. In the Buddhist teachings there are altogether six different worlds or realms into which beings can be reborn. The human world and the world of the animals are the two visible worlds that we can see with our own eyes. But besides these visible realms, there are other realms. And so we have the realm of the Asuras, which are some kind of titanic demons. We have the realm of the Petas, the hungry ghosts. And we have the Hell realm. These three realms, together with the animal realms, are the four lower realms. And we have the realm of the Devas and the realm of the Brahmas. These are the celestial realms. And the human world lies in between the lower realms and the celestial worlds. With the help of the following simile, the Buddha uh, pointed out how difficult it is to get, um, be, how difficult it is to re- be reborn as a human being. So, for that, one uh, puts a needle into the earth with the uh, pointed side, sharp side, pointing up towards the sky, and then a second needle is dropped from high above the sky. In the scriptures it says, from high from the Brahma realm. And so the chance that the needle dropped from high up in the sky hits the point of the needle sticking in the earth, that chance is still greater than the chance to be reborn as a human being. So, to be a human being, or to be reborn as a human being, what does it mean? Or, how does a human being differ from other beings? As a human being, we have the ability to think. We can look at the situation with a rational mind, and we can come to conclusions. And with this 
ability to differentiate, to come to conclusions, we can differentiate between what is good and bad, or between what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. And we also can discern whether an action only brings a short-term benefit or whether the benefit will be uh, a long-term benefit. To be a human being also means that we are a being consisting of two different phenomena, which means we consist out of mental phenomena and physical phenomena. In other words, we can say we consist of a body and a mind. So the, the combination and the working together of these two different phenomena is what we call a being or a human being. And for a new existence or for a new life um, to come into existence, there need to be certain causes or certain conditions. There are basically four causes or conditions for a new life to arise. First of all, it's avicca, ignorance, not knowing, delusion. Then there is tanha, which is craving. Then there is upadana, which is clinging. And kamma, volitional actions of body, speech, and mind. So, avicca, it's ignorance, or not knowing how things really are. It's a perverted or a distorted view of reality. And based on this ignorance or not knowing, beings do not see the characteristics of anicca, dukkha, anatta, asuba, and asara. They are impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, impersonality, then loathsomeness, or not beautiful, asuba, and the last, asara, means without essence. So, each form of life is subject to these characteristics, be it human beings, animals, devas, or brahmas. Now, the second cause for a new life to come into existence is tanha, or craving. Sometimes tanha is also translated as thirst. All the time we thirst for the pleasure of the senses. Our thirst, our craving, our desires are without end. And on the base of ignorance, we also thirst for life. We thirst for existence in one form or another. The third cause, upadana, is a stronger form of craving. 
we call it clinging. And upadana can be compared to the hand, <coughs> hand which holds on to something which doesn't let go anymore. We remember the story of the monkey, the monkey trap. Monkey who is only caught by his clinging, holding on. Craving is like the hand that stretches out to get a thing. And the fourth cause is karma, or the intentional actions of body, speech, and mind. And on the base of the law of cause and effect, wholesome actions, they bring um, wholesome effects. Unwholesome actions, they lead to unwholesome results or effects. And it is also said that wholesome karma leads to a rebirth in the higher realms, which are the human realm, the deva and drama realm, and unwholesome karma leads to rebirth in the lower realms, the four lower realms. So, if we look for an essence in our life, then we should also be clear about what we mean by essence. So what we take as essence should be something that cannot be destroyed, something that has long-lasting and beneficial results, and something which is conducive for our well-being and contentment. And as a true essence, it should also be helpful in reaching our goal of liberation or enlightenment. So just as a piece of hardwood cannot be destroyed by ants, termites, other bugs or outer influences, so what we take for essence should not be able to be destroyed by any inner or outer influences. As I said before, our life consists of physical and mental phenomena, or in other words, we have a body and a mind. And besides our body and mind, there is something else that plays an important role in our life, and this is our material possessions. So, there are three parts which um, play an important role in our life, our material possessions, our body, and our mind. So when we look for an essence in these three parts, what can we find? Or which essences can we extract from our material possessions, from our body, and from our mind? First of all, let's have a look at our material possessions. I think we all have seen a hamster filling its cheek with a lot of food. We human beings 
are actually not so different. We too constantly gather and collect material positions. We collect, we keep collecting things and then we think that these things, these material possessions, they belong to us. As, as we see ourselves as the owner of these things, then we have to care for them. We have to put them aside and we have to protect these material possessions from theft or other dangers. So we store them carefully away or we put them into the safe or we take out an insurance policy against theft or any danger caused by fire and water. But still, all these precautions are still no guarantee that our things will not be stolen or destroyed. There are five enemies or five things which can uh, destroy our possessions. And these five enemies are fire, then water, then robbers, thieves, then the confiscations through the government or authorities, and lastly, disloyal children. So the first two enemies, fire and water, they belong to the destruction caused by, by nature. And so here, we also can include the destruction by mudslide or avalanches or uh, by storms, hurricanes, cyclones. And the three remaining enemies, they cause the destruction of our material things by the misuse of force, power or domination. So as much as we take care of our material uh, possessions and as much as we uh, do our take up precautions, there is still no guarantee that our material things will not get destroyed. So if the essence is not in the possession of these material things, or if it is not in the material things itself, then what can we extract from these things? How can these material possessions, how can our wealth be helpful in our search for happiness and freedom? Is there an indestructible essence in these things and material possessions. The essence that we can extract from our material possessions or wealth is dana. Dana which means generosity, offering, giving. Dana is a virtue that is dormant in all human beings. 
if not yet fully developed, we can cultivate and strengthen this quality. Dana is the quality of the heart that moves a person to give away his or her things uh, for the welfare and benefit of other beings. Giving or generosity opens up our heart and counters such unwholesome qualities as stinginess, avarice, uh, self-centeredness. It nourishes and develops the qualities of generosity, of kindness and compassion. During the act of a dana of giving, our heart is filled with joy and happiness. And we can extend this feeling of joy and happiness to the time before and after the actual giving. So, in preparing something to give or in, when we go shopping for the things that we want to offer as dana, we can already feel happy and joyous about the fact that we are going to practice generosity. We can be um, enthusiastic about our dana. And after the actual act of giving, we can feel happy that we have performed uh, a meritorious deed. And whenever we remember this act, we can feel happy and glad about it. On my second trip to Australia, that was in 1991, I visited Canberra with my friend David. And we were walking in the pedestrian zone of downtown Canberra. And there we came across an elderly woman who distributed bowls of uh, steaming hot soup to all the bypassers. And she also invited the two of us to have some soup. So we stopped and she filled two bowls with this a steaming soup from a huge pot. It was a very nice and delicious vegetable soup and obviously prepared with much love and care. And as I was eating the soup, I was looking around to find a sign or something to tell for which group or for which organization uh, she was doing this but I couldn't find any sign and so I went up to her and asked her for whom or which group or organization she was uh, doing this and she replied that it wasn't for any group or organization but that it was her own private dana to the needy and all the bypasses. And she continued to explain that from her monthly government welfare check, um, after having paid for the rent, for her food and for the insurance, whatever money was left, she put it aside 
to uh, to Tistana every Friday afternoon. And she said, you know, most of the women, uh, they go and buy beautiful and nice clothes or they spend it on expensive makeup. But I don't need this. It fills my heart with joy and makes me so happy when I can do this offering of this soup every Friday afternoon. And with this she turned away and filled another bowl of soup and gave it to a middle-aged businessman. The merit gained by this wholesome act of dana cannot be destroyed by anything or anybody. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be taken away. No fire or mudslide can destroy this merit, nor can it be confiscated by the government or authorities. Robbers can search our whole house and they can even carry away our safe, but they cannot get hold of our merit. So, dana is the essence that we can extract from our wealth and material possessions. There is a great power in these acts of generosity. Their positive outcome can contribute a lot to our well-being, happiness and contentment. And very often when the Buddha gave a talk, he started with the topic of generosity because it's a very important uh, practice on our spiritual path. It's a basis upon which the other steps are based. Now let's go to the second part, to the body. As long as we are alive, we regard this body as something more or less permanent and we see it as our body. This body belongs to us and we do with it what we want, or at least to a certain degree. We think that we have power and control over this body. But as soon as we get sick, we have to admit that we actually don't have any power over this body. If we get um, pain in the back, we cannot simply say, go away, I don't want you. It doesn't work this way. Or if we can get the cold, um, then we cannot say, running no, stop, I don't want you now, you're bothering me in my meditation. It simply doesn't work like this. This control is actually a very superficial and imaginary control, because as soon as we want really make use of it, it dissolves into nothing. And we also know that at the time of our death, we have to leave the body behind. And very soon, it starts to decompose and rot. 
even if we take this body apart and look for a for an essence in the different parts, we do not find something that is permanent or everlasting or that we can uh, take out as an essence. The Buddha once said that this body is the seat of 96 different kinds of sickness. The eyes can become sick for various reasons. The ears can start uh, to ache or get sick for various reasons. The heart can become sick the lungs, the legs, the muscles. There is no part in our body that cannot be afflicted by sickness or pain. And once one of the monks asked the Buddha what people were meaning with sickness. And so then the Buddha said that sickness this actually means this body. Or if we have to point out sickness, then we would have to point towards our body. A contemplation that is frequently practiced takes the 32 parts of the body as the object. We have come across this contemplation the other day when I talked about for protective meditations. One way of practicing asuba, bhavana, is taking the body apart, taking it into the 32 parts. So, dissecting the body into these 32 parts, even if we look at each part very carefully, there is no essence that we can extract from any of these 32 parts. So, the essence that we can extract out of the body is sila, its morality or virtue. The way we use our body and that with that the speech is included, can be either wholesome or unwholesome. And to know what is wholesome and what is unwholesome, there are certain guidelines which define wholesome actions and unwholesome actions. And also we have uh, talked about this topic in previous talks, these guidelines uh, are also referred to as the precepts. And in the Buddhist teaching, there is a set of five basic uh, guidelines or precepts which um, a practitioner should follow. Following these precepts or guidelines, one is endowed with a virtuous uh, conduct once bodily and verbal actions are faultless and blameless. So the merit that is gained by keeping these precepts cannot be destroyed by any of the five enemies. 
fire and water cannot cause any damage nor can it be confiscated by authorities cannot be stolen by thieves and even disloyal children cannot get hold of the merit gained by keeping the seal of pure. So for the welfare of other sentient beings as well as for our own welfare we should control and check our actions so we should refrain from anything that causes harm or inflicts suffering in any way we should refrain it for by by, uh, for doing it to other beings but we also should refrain it um, doing it to ourselves we should treat our other living beings with dignity and respect in the same way that we want to be treated with dignity and respect these five basic guidelines or precepts they are also referred to as Nicha Gahodamas. Nicha it uh, means forever, always, everlasting or unchanging. It's the opposite of Anicha, impermanence that we are all familiar with. Garu this means worthy of respect and Dhamma means Dhamma all um, existing phenomena or the cause the laws of nature the teaching of the Buddha so Nicha Garudama means that the five precepts are guidelines that we should respect always and forever one of my teachers Sayadaw U Indaka he has compared the Nichagarudamas with Alonji. Now Alonji is the, the lower garment that men and women alike in Burmese wear. It's this sarong like piece of cloth for the lower part of the body. And still nowadays most of the Burmese people wear Alonji. The sight of trousers is still quite a rare sight in Burma except in Yangon um, young people tend to uh, walk around in trousers but as soon as one goes out of Yangon to the countryside men and women, young and old, children and old people they are wearing their lounges and so for Burmese people one is only well dressed if one is wearing a longi and for the upper part of the body a shirt or a blouse in a country like Burma where uh, certain parts of the body should be covered one is only adequately dressed with a longi and a shirt or dress because in Burma it's not um, slightly to expose, let's say, the legs or um, 
upper parts of the body. So it would be definitely a strange sight if somebody walks around, let's say, in shorts, exposing bare legs. So, as I said, in Burma, one is neatly and well-dressed, wearing a longi which covers the legs, and a blouse or a shirt. And so it is the same with the Nicha Garudamas. A person who wears the garment of the five precepts is adequate um, adequately dressed or um, presents uh, a well-respected side. People respect such a person or such a person looks gracious being adorned with the five precepts. The transgression of the five precepts would be at least in Burma, like walking around in a dirty longi or in a longi that is torn. And if one would ignore the five precepts completely, then that would be like walking around with bare legs in Burma, which is unsightly, which is something one shouldn't do. But of course, here in the West, if people walk around exposing bare legs, that's not an uncommon sight, not at all. People wouldn't even turn their heads. In Burma, they would. So, a virtuous conduct is the essence that we, that we, we can extract from our body. The observance of sila is a wholesome deed which supports us in our endeavor to lead a happy and contented life. It's not only a helpful support for this life, but also for the lives to come. And above all, it's a necessary and fundamental condition for the practice of meditation. Only when we are free from the defilements caused by unwholesome actions of body and speech, only then is it possible to concentrate the mind and with that gain insight into the true nature of reality. And with that we come to the third part which plays an important role in our life. And this is our mind. We also could call it the heart and the mind. And with this we mean all mental phenomena such as thoughts, feelings and emotions. And through the practice of meditation we have already come to a certain understanding that these thoughts, feelings and emotions are not permanent. They are not everlasting. A thought, for example, comes up, stays a little while, and then uh, goes away and disappears. 
or an, op- uh, an emotion uh, comes up, takes us away, keeps us imprisoned for some time. But then, after some time, even that emotion will change into something else or disappear. And even opinions and views that we have held so dearly, they can start to change or they can even change into uh, the direct opposite. And we know a feeling of great elation or happiness that we have experienced some time ago, that feeling is now gone. As much as we look and search for it, we cannot find it anymore. We cannot get hold of it anymore. On the basis of these experiences, we have to admit that the mind is nothing permanent or nothing stable. We do not find a solid core or something indestructible. The mind, or the mind and the heart, is in the same way subject to impermanence as are our material possessions and as our body is. And looking at the mind a bit closer during our meditation practice, we come to see that it is also subject to the other two general characteristics. The mind is also subject to dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and it's subject to anatta, or the not-self, the impersonal nature. So because the mind is subject to these three general characteristics of anicca, dukkha, and anatta, it cannot be the essence. So what then is the essence that we can extract from our mind? And the essence we can take out from our mind is mental development or mental training or what we refer to as meditation. And in Pali it is bhavana. So meditation mental culture, mental training is the essence that we can extract from our mind. In the Buddhist tradition there are two kinds of mental training, bhavana. One is samatha bhavana and the other one is vipassana bhavana. Samatha bhavana um, is tranquility meditation or calm meditation and the aim of this kind of meditation is to bring the mind into a one-pointedness and for this we take one object and then we focus on that object without paying attention to anything else and so when we uh, develop this ability to have our mind Uh, one-pointedly focused on that one object, then with that our mind gets concentrated and it becomes calm and still tranquil. 
and this calmness and this tranquility leads to a, a feeling of happiness or bliss or peacefulness. And so as long as our concentration is good, as long as we are in this deeply concentrated state of mind, that long we will feel happy and peaceful. But then as soon as we come out from this deeply concentrated state of mind, then that happiness or that peacefulness is gone. The other kind of meditation is vipassana meditation, which is often translated as insight meditation. And so the aim of insight meditation is to gain a true and deep understanding of all existing phenomena as they really are. And it's this deep understanding of things, uh, how they are, that can bring a true and lasting uh, happiness and peace. In Vipassana meditation, we do not only focus our minds on one single object, but as you all now know by this time, all physical and mental phenomena can become the object of our meditation. It is only through the deep understanding of these mental and physical phenomena that we can bring about uh, real peace or lasting happiness. It's through the insight into these phenomena that we can realize the causes for our suffering and therefore uh, we can abandon the causes for our suffering and we can prevent them from uh, arising. So Vipassana meditation leads to an understanding of phenomena, how they really are, and through this insight uh, it will lead to the uh, ultimate wisdom which can bring an end to all kinds of suffering. The benefit or merit gained through meditation is relatively easy to get and it has the most beneficial results for our aim of liberation or enlightenment. Meditation is not only limited to intensive retreats or weekends, but actually it can be applied anywhere and anytime. As I said, meditation and the aim of Vipassana meditation is to gain a true understanding of all phenomena by developing the heart and mind. And so this development of our heart and mind is not limited to a formal meditation retreat or formal meditation practice. But we can apply this principle in our daily life. And all that is needed is a commitment to stay awake and alert, to stay in the present moment.
So if we make it the aim to stay awake and mindful in each moment of our life, to be mindful of what is happening in our bodies and mind, then we can gain the greatest benefit possible from each moment of our life. Mindfulness in our daily life first of all helps to reduce stress and mental agitation and with this we can become more focused, we can become more present and so we feel more grounded and therefore our actions are more likely to be rooted in consideration and understanding. And with this, it can help to purify our heart and mind to a certain degree and make our life a happier and more peaceful one. And finally, uh, mindfulness can uh, lead to the insight and understanding which finally can uproot all the causes for our suffering and therefore that we can attain to lasting and true happiness and peace which means complete liberation, enlightenment or Nibbana. <coughs> so the investigation of the true nature of all existing phenomena is the essence that we can get from our mind. Our insights and wisdom cannot be destroyed by any of the five enemies. None of these five enemies can take it away or can cause any damage. These insights, this understanding and wisdom is ours as long as we are alive and it will be with us in, uh, during the journey in samsara. Normally we use our ability to discern or to think or to analyze to, to make our life more pleasant, more enjoyable and to this end uh, on, and this means usually to, uh, for our physical um, comfort, for our <coughs> material well-being. <coughs> we should uh, look at our life and see how many electrical appliances or many, how many electronical devices we use to make our lives more enjoyable, more uh, pleasant. And also, we spend a lot of time uh, on our bodies. We wash it, we brush it, we comb it, we put cream on it, we take it out for walks, for swims, for bike rides. So, a lot of time is spent <coughs> on material things, on 
our bodies. If we only would use one-tenth one of the time that we spend on our bodies, then I think we would already be ten times happier. If we would use one-tenth of the time for the development of our minds, then we would already be ten times happier. So, instead of um, taking so much care of our bodies, we should find a balance to beautify the body and the mind. Um, a, a beautified mind or a pure heart automatically manifests in a clear and gracious face, facial expression. So, a purified heart and a well-trained mind are actually a more reliable makeup than all the different products that are available on the market. At the time of our death, we have to leave behind all our wealth, our material possessions, and we also have to leave behind our bodies. Only the mind continuum goes on to exist. And it's the merits and insights and wisdom that is um, stored in this mind continuum that will be of benefit later on. So as we have seen, Dana, Sila and Bhavana are wholesome and meritorious deeds. Dana is the extract that we can take out from our material possessions. Sila is the essence that we can extract from our body. And Bhavana is the extract that we can take out from our mind. Dana, Sila and Bhavana are the ingredients for a happy life right here and now, but also for the future. Generosity, morality and meditation are the essence of our life. Basically we all, or at least most of the people, want to lead a good life and do good. But out of sheer ignorance or not knowing, people do things which are not so skillful, not so beneficial. Being caught in their delusion, being blind, with certain actions, they actually cut into their own flesh. Our views, our opinions, or our ideas are mostly based on speculation or blind belief, instead of absolute facts or reality. There have been many philosophers, thinkers, and writers who have put up different philosophies, theories, or religions, but all of them caught in the prison of their belief in a self. There have been, there have been many, uh, they have been of very sharp and high intellect, but all of them have died 
within the confinement of their prison in the belief of a self. To get free from this prison of self or to get free from the chains of the self, the Buddha didn't make use of logical reasoning or philosophical um, uh, thinking, but he rather looked very carefully, very deeply, and he looked without any prejudices, trying to see the true nature of things. The aim of the Buddha's teaching is realization, which means a deep and personal understanding of things as they really are. So coming back to the verse uh, of the Dhammapada, which I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, we can see and understand more clearly what is meant by to avoid all evil, to cultivate good, to purify one's mind, and how to put, put it into practice in our daily life. The value of the Buddha's teaching lies not so much in its theoretical logic, but much more in its direct and practical approach of how to put it into practice in our daily life. In the same way as we need certain ingredients to make a bread, namely flour, water, salt and yeast, so do we need the ingredients of dana, sila and bhavana for a happy and fulfilling life. So may all of you, by practicing dana, sila and bhavana, be able to uproot all suffering and attain to nibbana. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.